Uh, hi, if you're new around here, my name is Tim. Welcome, glad you're here. Um, we are going to get into uh, a, a continued part, if you believe it, part 10 of a series uh, called Rule Your Life. We've been talking for uh, about a month and a half now, I guess, 10 weeks. Uh, we've been talking for about 10 weeks about uh, spiritual disciplines. And so you, you'll remember if you were here at the beginning of our series, we talked about what a rule of life is. And so just as a refresher, if you're, if you're not familiar with this idea, a rule of life is essentially a framework for living in the way of Jesus. And we know that left to our own devices, we don't just naturally live in the way of Jesus. And so we practice spiritual disciplines. These are habits or, or practices or behaviors that we can engage in uh, so that we can learn to live more like Jesus would if if he were living our lives in our pair of shoes, or living in our house, or, or working our job, or, or living in relationship with the people we are in relationship with. And so a rule of life is a framework that you add spiritual disciplines onto so that you can live in the way of Jesus. During this series so far, we have studied meditation, prayer, fasting, Bible study, simplicity, simplicity submission, service, and confession. Shout out to Pastor Greg, who brought a solid word on confession last Sunday. Uh, and this week, we're continuing our series by discussing the discipline of worship. Now, worship is such a large topic that it would actually be really easy for us to just pause our series and do a whole series just on worship. We could go for weeks and weeks talking about uh, the nuance of this subject. And so I I'm going to try to not cover everything that I want to cover when I talk about worship today. Uh, the teacher brain in me has to take a seat, and, and I have to not tell you everything I think you need to know about worship. So um, that said, when I told Sharon that I had about six sermons worth of notes, she said, you've got to cut that down. So uh, so if you get out of here before lunchtime today, thank my wife. Uh, that said, uh, I think you begin to get an idea of why we could talk for so long about worship when I tell you that there are, uh, there are se over 700 different references to worship throughout the New Testament. There are 250 specific commands to praise God in scripture. Uh, it, it's just all over the place. In fact, what we in our English language do with two words, praise and worship, the scriptures use 15 different words. Let's study every single one of them right now in depth. I'm kidding. Uh, there, there, are, there are four words for worship. There's one Hebrew word. There's three Greek words. There's 11 words for praise. Seven of them are Hebrew. Four of them are Greek. I'm not going to tell you what they all are. You're welcome. That was one whole sermon. We just cut it out right there, okay? I'm not kidding. I had all these notes on all of the, it's, it was a lot. Anyway. I did all the research for you so that I could come with some definitions of our terms for today. And so as we in our English language refer to praise and worship, let me offer you, after having looked through all of the, doing all the study through the different words that are used in scripture, we can define these terms like this. We could say that praise is expressively declaring truth about God for the purpose of bringing him honor. And that's often accompanied by music. So you would say that what we were doing just a few moments ago in our service was called praise. It was expressive. It was a declaration of truth about God. And the purpose of that wasn't to entertain you. It was together, all of us, to bring honor to God. Right? So that's what we were doing in that moment. And we did it with Music And then worship is a much more broad term as you study it in Scripture. It is a lifestyle term. It's about the way that you, with your entire life, seek to humbly bring honor to God as the, as the king above everything else. So it's the recognition that God is, is God and that there's no other God before him, that he's the king above all kings, that he, he's the first and the last, and that your life is geared towards bringing him honor and glory. So now, just so you know, unless uh, I'm not aware of this and you have like some kind of cool thing going on that I don't get to have, that portion of your worship is not normally accompanied by music. So, so not, all, not all worship 
is music. Unless you have a soundtrack for your entire life, which I would be jealous of, that would be awesome. I hope it's a good one. Um, just like not disco, but uh, <laughs> got, a, got my first amen of the day on that one. All right. <laughs> so so here's, here's the point, is that when we talk about praise, we're typically talking about moments of expressing or declaring truth. When we're talking about worship in the biblical sense, we're typically talking about the frame or the, the, the style, the, the format of our life, the way that we live. So when we're discussing the spiritual discipline of worship, we're not simply talking about the songs that we sing to God, although there will be an element of that in our discussion. We're talking more broadly about all of the ways that we bring honor to God with all of the areas of our life. Writing about worship, Adele Albert Calhoun wrote that worship happens whenever we intentionally cherish God and value him above all else in life. Notice that worship doesn't mean you're not allowed to value anything else. It means that you value God above all else. And notice also in this definition, which I think is wildly helpful, that worship isn't something that you do once a week that it happens intentionally whenever you honor God above all else. And then also that word intentional is really important. Worship is not something you trip into or walked into a service where someone was playing a song. You go, oh, I guess I'm worshiping now. No, worship is something you intentionally do when you decide to cherish God on purpose and value him above all else in your life. So worship is the intentional giving of honor to God with words and music, and with your entire life. Have we, have we clear, clarified the term so far? All right, let's go one level deeper. The Apostle Paul helps us to understand worship. When he wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says this line, This is your true worship. So your, your best worship, your true worship, your real worship to God is to give your life to him as a sacrifice. Why would we do that? Because he has shown us incredible mercy. In other words, we might say that God has given us life through Jesus, and so our response is to give our lives back to him as worship. Does this make sense? So worship is your entire life, or as Richard Foster, who wrote The Celebration of the Disciplines, would put it, he would say, worship is our human response to God's divine initiative. Uh, that, that line makes me think about the way that it says in Scripture that we love because God first loved us. Worship is not something that you invented, that we didn't, we didn't come up with worship as, as a, a group of people just sitting around one day and go, hey, you know, it'd be a good idea, grab me a harp, let's invent something. Actually, worship is a natural response to being aware that God initiated relationship with us. So he took the first step, and worship is always a response to what God has already done. Okay, so let's do a little bit of a thought experiment. Can you think for a moment about what God has done for you? Just, just maybe, this, maybe this is hard. Maybe you hadn't had that second cup of coffee yet, and it hasn't quite clicked in. Let me give you some things that God has done for you, generally speaking. He made the world. He made it. The place that we're in right now, the world, exists because of God. He did that for you. That's pretty good. Like just that's as about as broad as you can get, right? Okay, let's let's get maybe a little bit more specific. He gave you life in this world. Today, at some point, maybe you felt like it was a little bit too early, but he woke you up. He gave you breath in your lungs to breathe today. And to, a, to whatever degree, he's given you a measure of health and wealth. He gave you that. right? We know the scripture says that every good and perfect thing comes from God. So all of the blessings in, in your life, he gave those to you. You were, you were wildly broken and trapped in sin. And before you were even a thought on anyone's mind, God was thinking about you when Jesus died on the cross, 
and made a way for you to enjoy eternal life. These are things that God has done for you. Just in a, in a broad, brushstroke, general sense, because you were a human being, God has done this for you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus and he is your Savior and the Lord of your life, then he's also sent the Holy Spirit to baptize and fill you and give you gifts and, and commission you to be a, a gospel sharer. He says, go and share the good news around the world and baptize people and teach them about all the things that I told you. So he's given you not only salvation, he's also given you purpose and, and power to fulfill that purpose. These are things that God has done for you. Notice that all of these things are God-initiated. He did this first. Right? Like no one was standing around going, hey, God, could you make a world for us? He just did that. And love is what caused him to do that. In fact, he loved us so much, he sent his son. He instituted the church for us to have relationship with one another as we have relationship with God. The fact that we're here today is a function of God's initiation of relationship with us. These are things that God has done for you, broadly speaking. What has he done for you specifically? As you're sitting listening to all of the, the general things that God has done, broad brushstroke stuff that he's done for all mankind, what are the things that he's done for you? Right, like He's done miracles in my personal life and, and for my family. Some of them, I, I can think he's done miracles this year. I, I know that he's done miracles in our church this year for several of the people that I'm looking out and, and talking at right now. He's done miracles for us this year. God has been faithful. He's been so good. And, and when we sing that he'll never fail, that he will not ever fail, we know that we can sing that in response to a God that has done good things for us. Amen? This is what it means to praise and worship God, to consider what he has done, and then to respond, to give what Richard Foster calls our natural response to God's divine initiative. But let's, let's not get too deep in the weeds here, because the question of the day is not really what is worship. The question that we need to answer today is how do we worship? How do I engage the, the spiritual discipline of worship, or maybe put another way, what are some things that I can do this week to practice the discipline of worship? Because the problem is, and, and I had like six whole sermons that weren't going to help narrow this down for you, the problem is we think about worship, it's so big, it's such a massive topic, so we need to simplify this. So there's a million different places that we could go, uh, and, and if you've done any studying about worship or had conversations about worship or read your Bible or been a worshiper, you're probably already trying to guess which verses Tim going to go to to talk about worship today. Awesome. I hope I surprise you. So we, like I said, we could do a whole series. So we just had to pick one place. So if you have a Bible, turn in your Bible with me to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. I don't know if you saw that coming or not. Psalm 100. There's, there's more than that. There's 99. If you get to Psalm 1, just keep going 100 times until you get to Psalm 100. I want to make sure that you're there. If, if you don't have it, it is up on the screen behind me. And I want to read Psalm 100 to you, and then, then I'm just going to simply do this. I, I'm going to try to give you a, a few practical things that you can do that can be inspired from this psalm that we could also draw these lessons from multiple other places that talk about Scripture or talk about worship in Scripture. Uh, and, and, then, and then we're going to bless you to go and be a worshiper. That's, that's how we'll spend the rest of our time today. Here's how Psalm 100 goes. By the way, it's a short psalm. We're going to study the whole thing today. It says this, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness throughout all generations. 
Now, again, even in this one psalm, I, I could go weeks just on Psalm 100. We're, we're not going to do it today. In fact, I'm forcing myself, even though we're going to use the whole psalm for our inspiration, I, I'm actually going to only draw my points from the first two verses just to prove to you that we can, we can do a thing, we can get a whole sermon out of just two verses, uh, but there's a lot more that I could say. Again, you're welcome. Actually, thanks, Sharon. Okay. Here's the first of the things that if we want to practice the spiritual discipline of worship, inspired by Psalm 100, I think the first thing might be a little bit uncomfortable, unless you're like a really Pentecostal. The first way that we can practice the spiritual discipline of worship is to shout. It says it. It says it right here in Psalm 100, verse 1. It says, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. And in my translation, it has an exclamation mark after uh, that sentence. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Now, shouting might actually have a negative connotation. When I was talking to Sharon about this, uh, she was saying, you know, sometimes shouting is bad, right? And, and I know, like I, I've said to you before, there were days in my life where I had an anger issue, and so shouting was a bad thing that I, that I, would, I would do because I was an angry person before Jesus did a work in my heart. And so, so shouting can have a negative connotation. Maybe, maybe you hear shouting and you think, well, I really hope that you're not one of those shouty preachers who's going to make me feel guilt and shame or like one of those people on the sidewalk uh, shouting at people uh, that they're going to hell. So shouting can have a negative connotation or maybe someone has shouted at you and made you feel small or attacked or abused and we are not talking about that kind of shouting. That's, that's not our goal here, okay? So we're talking about the shout of praise or the shout of worship. In fact, the word David uses here in Psalm 100 is the word ruah, which means to raise a shout or to give a blast. And in other translations, this word ruah is translated a battle cry, a shout for joy, or shouting for triumph. So shouting in this ruah sense, this shout of worship, this, this shout of triumph to the Lord is the sort of thing that you hear both before and after a battle. It's, it's associated with preparation, like, like hyping yourself up, pumping yourself up for a fight, and then celebrating and rejoicing when you win the day. And here's, here's what I, I think of when I think of a shout for joy. I actually think of uh, the New Zealand rugby team. I don't know if you've ever watched rugby, and I, I don't know if you've ever seen the national New Zealand rugby team. They're called the All Blacks. Uh, they, they, it's a really creative name. Guess what color they wear? It's all black. They're called the All Blacks. Okay, uh, their their team their team logo is actually the silver fern, and, and they they are uh, the the New Zealand national rugby team. In fact, they're the winningest rugby team in the history of the world. At one point, they had an eighty percent victory record. They they've just broken all kinds of records. They've they've won all kinds, of, and they are just like super super dominant in the sport. Of rugby. And one of the things that they do as a tradition before every single game in New Zealand, before every rugby game, and especially the All Blacks, the national team, they do this. They, they do what's called a haka. Now, the haka is a traditional dance and chant. And it was actually, uh, it was originated by the Maori people in New Zealand. And they would do this as a battle cry to intimidate their enemies before they would go and fight them. And then over time, as, you know, like society happened, uh, it, it it, the tradition remained, and it wasn't, hey, we're going to kill you now. It actually became a way to welcome in neighboring tribes or, or neighboring guests coming in, and it'd be a way to entertain one another, different groups. And so it very logically, for the people of New Zealand, became a national tradition that every time we were hosting a sports event, we would do a haka. And, and it, I'll show you what it looks like in, in just a second. The men's rugby team actually do a, a haka that's called the kamate. There's another one that they do that's called the kapa opongo. And, and I'll, I'll show it to you, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what they're saying. But this is, this is a little bit of an idea of what we might look think about when we think about shouting triumphantly. Uh, take, take a look.
nine minutes long. And the other team just stands there and pretends like they're not intimidated. In fact, there are some people that have asked the All Blacks to stop doing the haka because they feel like it gives them an unfair advantage by intimidating the other team. And, and in the moment, now, and you might be thinking like that doesn't seem that intimidating. Try standing in front of that, and the entire arena shaking with everybody just losing their minds watching this. Uh, this thing, this this ceremony, be recited. Now, the the kapa kapa mate, uh, by the way, is as an ancient uh, traditional haka. And you, do you want to know the lyrics to it? Uh, it goes like this: I die, I die, I live, I live. And then they repeat that: I die, I die, I live, I live. Now you can begin to wonder uh, maybe why they go Rah! a little bit, right? It's, it's amazing. It goes on. This is the hairy man who summons the sun and makes it shine. A step upward, another step upward, a step upward, another. The sun shines, and then they all go, It's fantastic. This has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's amazing. And then they wrote one just for their own team. It's called the Kappa Opango, and it, it goes like this. And there's a reason why I'm reading all of this to you. It'll make sense in just a, a few minutes. Here, here's the one that's actually written just for the All Blacks. It says, let me go back to my first grasp of breath. Let my life force return to the earth. It is New Zealand that thunders now. It is my time. It is my moment. The passion ignites. This defines us, the all blacks. And it is my time. It is my moment. The anticipation explodes. Feel the power. Our dominance rises. Our supremacy emerges to be placed on high. Silver fern, all blacks. Silver fern, all blacks. And then they go, ah! I know, I'm just, I'm not intimidating at all. But imagine big men doing that in front. Like, it's intimidating. It's, it's, a, it's a shout. It's a good, it's a good example. Maybe, maybe one that is a little bit more relatable for you would be if you've ever watched an athlete win in a finals game, right? Like one of my favorite athletes of all time, Kobe Bryant, he actually did this. Uh, there, there was a moment where he was playing in the Western Conference Finals against the Phoenix Suns, and they were down one point, and there was a, there was a jump ball, just crazy moment at the end of the game, jump ball. Kobe gathers the ball, dribbles up to the middle of the court, and shoots over two guys, a buzzer beater, and it goes in, and they win in the Western Conference Finals against... God's enemies, the Phoenix Suns. And he runs back over towards his bench, and he does this. He rips his jersey over, and he goes, Aah! and then he looks out at the crowd, and he goes like this, Aah! and he's beating his chest, because they just beat the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference Finals. And I was watching at home going, Aah! I can't believe this is so amazing. The Suns are terrible. Kobe is my hero. I was losing my my ever-loving mind. <laughs> it still gets me emotional today. <laughs> Seriously, that's one of the most iconic pictures in all of sports to me. The, it, is, it is the Kobe victory shout. Is we are invited, remember, to shout for triumph to the Lord. Now, I want to bring some clarity here as we say we're invited to shout for triumph to the Lord because there's a really important distinction here because there's a degree of self-focus as Kobe pulls his jersey over and beats his chest or, or the, the All Blacks do the haka to intimidate their opponent. The, there's a degree of like, this is about us. We are going to dominate. Watch us rise. We are the tough guy. Sorry, I got a little carried away there. But what's interesting is how quick we seem to be to shout and scream and celebrate for chants that are actually about human beings. And how hard it is for me to bring myself to shout triumphantly to the Lord. And God says, practice the spiritual discipline of worship by shouting triumphantly to the Lord. Why did Kobe rip his jersey and, and shout he won a basketball game in a Western Conference final series 
that did not result in an NBA championship. They didn't win the championship that year, and he did the most iconic, it didn't work. I'm not shouting to the God who might win. I'm not shouting to the God who sometimes fails. I'm invited to shout for triumph to the Lord, to the God who will never fail. I'm invited to practice the spiritual discipline of worship to shout for joy because I was dead and I was brought to life by the God who has never once failed. This is the God I'm invited to worship. And that worship should sound like something. It should sound like something. And so how do we practice the spiritual discipline of worship? We shout for victory. We say truths about God. And I would challenge you, friends, that there's something about this invitation in Psalm 100 to shout triumphantly to the Lord that isn't just wondering if maybe, and that it isn't just pleading that God might one day, but it's grabbing a hold of the things that God has done and saying them, not just reading them, but declaring, this is my God. This is the God that I worship. This is the God, not who empowers me to make the sun rise, but the God who created the sun. So practicing the the spiritual discipline of worship by shouting triumphantly to the Lord might look like declaring on a regular basis the beginning of Psalm 27, which says, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now answer that question. If God is on your side, who will you fear? The answer is nobody. That should make you feel something, right? Psalm 60 ends by saying, give us help for the hard task. Human help is worthless. In God, we'll do our very best. He'll flatten the opposition for good. <laughs> That's the message translation, by the way. I love it. The end of Psalm 60. Or right in the middle of Psalm 44, it says, through you we drive back our foes. Through your name we trample our enemies. For I do not trust in my bow, and my sword does not bring me the victory. Notice the distinction between the haka and the psalm. But you give us victory over our foes, and let, us, let those who hate us be disgraced. We boast in God all day long. We will praise your name forever. I, I will offer you a distinction that uh, the shouting praise does not need to yell. I, I'm a bit of a yeller, I know. I, I think you can confidently declare Maybe, maybe shouting for you is like half the volume of what a shout for me would be like. But the question is, are you passionate about what God has done for you? And can you turn that back onto God as worship for his goodness and his faithfulness? This is the invitation of the shout. Should we try it? Can we put Psalm 100 back on the screen? It's right there. Hey, uh, I, I find it easy to... Stand up if you're able. Um, kind of open up your chest a little bit. Take a couple of deep breaths. And um, I just, I just want to invite you to worship with me for a second. Can, can we do it? All right. I'm, I'm going to read it off my, off, off a, no, I'm going to come stand next to Kristen. I'm going to do this down here. Let's, let's do this together, okay? We're going to do this twice, all right? Once so that you can say that you've read it before, and then the second time we're going to read it as worship. Now, again, I, I, you, might, you don't have to get as excited about it as I do uh, with your voice, but let's, let's declare this as worship to the Lord because, it, because he is good and these words are a good and true invitation. Let's worship God. Psalm 100 says this, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. 
For the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. All right, okay, that was good, that was good, that was good. That was good. Well done. That was a good rehearsal. All right. Now I want to. I want to hear it. I, I want to hear it. Now I know. Oh, I went to church today and it was all just hype. It, was, it just made me yell at church. All right, you boring people. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna get down in a second uh, in case I'm in your way. But um, I wonder what it would sound like if you gave all of your passion in worship to God. I wonder if you would, maybe I'm speaking to myself a little bit, but I wonder what it would look like if I didn't care what Paul thought about me. And I wonder if I, I you're right, I don't. Um, <laughs> but I wonder, I, wonder, I wonder what it would look like if for just a moment, a Kobe Bryant had Psalm 100. Not because Kobe is cool, but because God is worthy. Psalm 100. God, thank you that I didn't just die. I would have messed up this whole illustration. (laughs) That would have been a different kind of shout. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, let's do it. Are you ready? All right. God, we do this in all seriousness because you are worthy of our praise. So we say this. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. (laughs) Come on. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. God, we pause right here. We say thank you. We bless your name. We thank you, God. You are good and worthy. We enter your praise. We enter your courts with praise on our lips, God. You are awesome and worthy. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness throughout all generations. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. It feels like you need another fist bump after that on your way to taking your seat. Yeah, you can sit down. You can sit down. Yeah, take, you could take a seat. I'm not going to get to the end of this. So we shout. We shout. Why is it important? Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Right? This means that what you say has the ability to create a life. Before you think I got all, like, mystical and, like, we're doing, we're, this is not witchcraft. This, this is saying that what you say leads your life. Yeah? Death in life is in the power of your tongue. And what you say, you will eat the fruit of what you say. And if you, if you, if you spend a life declaring death, all oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, all oh, these guys again, all oh, the politics, all oh, the job, all oh, the money, all oh, the, and just speaking death and death and death and death. What do you think is going to be produced in your life? Death. But if you spend your energy speaking life, speaking truth about God, worshiping God, what gets produced is the kingdom of God in your life. 
This is just the way it has always worked. It's just the way that it has always worked. So we are invited to shout, to declare, to speak the goodness of God. By the way, another function of this as we talk about shouting or, or declaring or speaking the triumph of God is simply the function of testimony. The, the function of telling the good news of what God has done in your life. This is a powerful, powerful tool in the kingdom. It's a powerful function of worship because my worship, as I tell you about the good thing that God did for me, is a function of giving God honor, and, it's a, and then it's a function of partnering with you to pump up your faith. It's like the spiritual haka. The more I do it, the more I share what God has done in my life, the more pumped up you get. And then you begin to see because you're looking for what God is doing in your life. And you come back and you tell, oh, Tim, let me tell you the story of what God has done. This is the function of testimony. We stir up one another's faith. We build each other's faith up as we share testimony. It just so happens that next Wednesday night we're doing our annual night of thanks. I don't know if you heard about that. It's going to be some chili. But then we're also going to worship God. And the function of our worship during our night of thanks is not just come around and tell a couple of stories, but it's come together and worship God through testimony. This is one of the ways we shout triumphantly to God. Come and listen. What has God done in my life? A testimony as a shout of worship reminds ourselves that God has been faithful. It's powerful. It's important. It's a function of our worship to shout God's goodness and to declare God's faithfulness in our lives. This is one of the ways that we worship God. And it is so wildly important. I'm telling you, friends, you need this in your life. In fact, the author and pastor John Ortberg wrote about his need for worship. He says this, I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. In other words, I, I get self-focused with my stuff because I forget what God has called me to. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude, and I plod through life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is, to, is toward self-reliance and stubborn independence. So the, the shout of worship, the declaration of your testimony, the telling of the good things that God has done is, 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 is worship. It is telling yourself, telling your neighbor, telling God the thing that he already did for you. God, thank you. God, it is good that you did this. God, I recognize that you are at work in my Life And again, this is wildly important because the world wants us to focus on all of the negative stuff that is going around. I mean, how many times have you heard about the wars? How many times can you hear about the economy? How much more do you want to hear about the interest rates and the things that the politicians are doing or not doing or, or the state of the social environment and the cultural wars and whatever you think and feel about all of that and all I mean, how, how much can you hear all of that and still have confidence? Friends, the, the system of the world we live in is designed to rob you of your confidence. Worship is the gift that sustains your faith. So we declare the goodness of God in the midst of the war. And, and, I, and I, again, I understand Understand this might feel like a stretch for you. That, that little exercise we did might feel like, man, that was really hard. I didn't like that. I don't know if I ever want to do that again. But like sometimes you just need a good shout. Sometimes you just need to produce worship. So I invite you to stretch. I invite you to consider maybe this week and maybe more often than you think. You just need to go and shout about it. We're going to continue talking about worship next week. We just have to keep talking about this. I'm having too much fun. We're going to keep doing it, all right? 
But I want to invite you to think about the way you think about worship as we come to a conclusion today. How, before, t- before this moment, how did you think about worship? Just, just grab that in your mind. Are you, are you like I used to be, and when I hear the word worship, it was all musical, right? If there isn't a Danny in the room with a guitar, I don't know what I'm doing. I, just worship doesn't happen, right? If it's not, maybe, maybe you're, yeah, I could do, I could, I could do worship, um, but I, I have to be in the room with live music for it to be worship, right? Like if David doesn't come and play those sick leads on his electric guitar, and I'm not like watching him like immediately, immediately on the high notes, like I don't know that it's really worship if it's not like if I'm not present with it, right? And and maybe the invitation is maybe it's not even about worship music it's about worship hearts so how did you think about worship before you came in here today did you ever think that you were going to go to church and your pastor was going to go hey could you yell a little bit more and that would be a function of worship could could you could you shout a bit and what if and this will be my final thought for you today but what if what if the reason that this is hard for us isn't because there's been a dampening on the Pentecostal vibrancy of the church. What if there's something more pernicious, more, more sinister going on than just like, are you charismatic or not? What if life itself was given to us because God put air in our lungs? And the fear of letting it loose in worship is actually an agreement that it would be better for my praise to die. What if worship is an expression that I've been made alive? God, you put air in my lungs. I'm going to use it. Did you think that worship was about demonstrating that you recognize that you're alive? God, we've got so much more that we need to talk about when it comes to worship. Maybe I'll just hang out here and get through those six sermons. <laughs> over time, over Sundays, we'll come back next week. We'll, we'll, we'll take our time. But Lord, if it feels like there's more here that you want us to say. It feels like there's more here you want us to talk about with worship. And so I just, just right now in this moment, Lord, we just say, as a church, God, would you teach us to worship? God, thank you for the ways that we are worshipers. Thank you for the musicians in our church who are leading us in the, in the musical praise of our worship to you. God, we are grateful for that. We thank you for that. We are so blessed. We are, we are just so blessed by that, God. And we are, we are honored to get to give you praise as we gather. But Lord, would you make us a people of worship that goes beyond the moments. And so today, God, as we, as we shouted, as we thought about the air in our lungs and the, the words that come out of our mouth and the, the very nature of the idea that, that death and life is in the power of the tongue and we want to declare life and that we have received life. God, as we thought about these things today, hmm. God, would you make us worshipers? Even now in this moment as we're breathing in and we're breathing out. We do this because you've given us life. When you breathed into creation and made man in your image, you did that by giving us air in our lungs. God, help us in the places where we have neglected to return that air to you in the form of worship, to be worshipers. to be worshipers. God, help us to be people of testimony, sharing the good news of what you have done. Sharing the good story of the ways that you have redeemed and set us free. God, 
God, we need worship. Help us to practice. And as we do, make us more like you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to do a practice here before we leave um, that uh, I want to just kind of drill down on. And I was going to have you do this a little bit of a different way, but we're going we're gonna to worship together just one more time before we get out of here. And it's not going to be with music. It's not going to be um, in the traditional praise sense. We're going to do this in, in a way that you, if you've been around Life Church, you're familiar with this. So I'm not about to ask you to do something you've never done before. I just want to invi- invite you to worship together as we conclude our time like this together today with a function of worship. You remember that I had said that one of the functions of worship is testimony. And so can you do, can you do this for the next moment or two before we wrap up? I'll, I'll, I'll conclude our time. I'll call us back together. I'll pray. I'll pray a blessing over you, and we'll, we'll send you out to go worship God together. But can you just find a neighbor, maybe get a group of two or three if you want, um, and, and just in that group, can you take a few moments and just testify. And here, here's what that, that looks like. If, if you've never been in a moment where someone said, just go testify, just grab a person and tell them at least one thing that God has done for you, right? Go ahead and do that now. This is a function of worship. Go ahead and worship God together as you turn to a neighbor and share at least one thing that God has done for you. There you go. You're doing great. Good job. Keep it up. If you have shared, um, I just want to encourage you, and I've actually seen a couple of groups already take the initiative to do this. Just pray with each other for a quick second. Pray a blessing over each other as you share and worship together. That prayer could be as simple as, God, we thank you for the ways that you've blessed us. Thank you for these stories. We worship you together today. Give you honor and glory. together today in just a moment.
right. Now, if you started a really good story and you want more time to finish it, uh, go out to lunch together today. Continue to worship, uh, fellowship, build some friendships. That is an awesome option. Um, let me give you one homework assignment, and then we will I will pray for you, and then we're going to go be worshipers today. So um, if I was going to originally give you several different homework assignments, but I only got through my first point today, so I'm only going to give you the first homework assignment. Here it is. You ready? This week, just recite Psalm 100 out loud at least once every single day, right? Now, if you scare your neighbors, just invite them to church to hear part two of this, this message uh, next Sunday, uh, but, but recite Psalm 100 at least one time every single day. And when I say recite, I don't mean read, I mean worship it, not worship the psalm, worship with it, using it, worship God. Okay, I saved that one. All right. <laughs> so, so does that make sense? Just take Psalm 100 at least one time every single day this week. We'll get into the other uh, stuff that I had in mind for you uh, next week because I, I felt like we really needed to drill down on that. God, thank you for leading us today. Uh, Lord, we, in fact, close our time together today by saying you are so worthy of all of our worship. We again say to you, you are good, you are faithful forever. Down through every generation, you have been faithful, and we worship you, God. Thank you for this reminder to give our expressiveness in worship to you. And so, friends, I, I pray this blessing over you today in the name of Jesus. May your life, like Paul encouraged us, may your life be a sacrifice of worship that is pleasing to God. May you be moved to shout and sing for the joy of your salvation often. And may your shouting and singing inspire others to join in. As worship shifts your perspective, draws you nearer to God, and produces more and more life in and through you. May you, as you worship, be blessed, and may you be a blessing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.